0: Hello, everyone. This is Michael D'Eloia, host of Startup Lakewood. We will get to the podcast in a moment, but before we do, I wanted to say a few words about our guest on this episode. We recorded in studio with Bill Grimberg in the fall of 2018, and it was a powerful interview. Bill was gracious, insightful, honest, and humorous in his description of what it is to be an entrepreneur. We were crestfallen to learn a few weeks ago that Bill had passed away. We send our thoughts and prayers to his friends and family. He will be missed. Bill was a -a once-in-a-lifetime big thinker and risk taker, but we take solace in knowing that Bill's wonderful wisdom will be available to all of us for eternity. Rest in peace, my friend. Hello, my name is Michael D'Aloya, and you're listening to the Startup Lakewood podcast. This podcast explores the trials and tribulations of Rust Belt entrepreneurs who are taking the risks and defying expectations in the great city of Lakewood, Ohio. Entrepreneurs enjoy this open, liberal, individualistic, yet supportive city. While we're not as large as our next door neighbor, Cleveland, it doesn't mean our entrepreneurs don't have dynamic stories. They do, and this podcast captures the great giving spirit of our citizens. Today, we talk with Bill Grimberg, the veteran. He's seen it all as an entrepreneur over 30 years. He's been in private equity, he started companies, unfortunately, he's closed a few down, too. He is a great advocate for entrepreneurs, a great listener, and someone with steady advice. Let's listen in to his story. Bill, I want to thank you and uh, welcome to the show. The Startup Lakewood podcast this morning. Great to have you in studio. Can we start off by you sharing just a little bit of your professional background?
1: Of course, I uh, I moved to Cleveland in 80, 81, which was probably one of the best things I ever did with my wife and family. I've had a pretty varied career. The most thematic aspect of it is has been raising money in one form or another. Until about six years ago, I was primarily involved in raising money for startups, although I'm still doing some of those and being engaged in those startups. I'm currently engaged in uh, three, two of which or one of which is in Cleveland, one's in Pennsylvania and one's in Oregon.
0: What's the secret to success of raising cash and money? It's always a challenge, even for the us who have gone through it quite a bit. You always, sometimes it seems like you're starting again at ground zero. I think you are, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> so there's,
1: there's no secret. It's perseverance and perseverance and more perseverance and a thick skin. It always amazes me, however, that oftentimes, or not oftentimes, sometimes people I know well don't return my phone calls even though they've ex- expressed interest in something.
0: Doesn't that sting a little bit?
1: It does. It does. It, and it, it offends me insofar as it's common courtesy to say,
0: Bill, Michael, I'm not interested. Don't waste your time. I think the Midwesterners have a hard time of saying no. Quiet to them is their way of saying no. And I, I agree with you. It's just It's a simple thing to say, hey, interested in you, just not interested in this deal.
1: Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, I've had people say, I, I uh, finally when I run into them, saying, well, I, I guess you figured out by now I'm not going to return your phone.
0: <laughs> I was like, really? How long have we known each other? When did you know professionally that you wanted to be a part of an entrepreneurial endeavor?
1: Well, I think I've always been part of an entrepreneurial endeavor, sometimes in the not-for-profits. I think you can be a not-for-profit entrepreneurial entrepreneur. I've also been involved in a number of turnarounds, probably the biggest turnaround that I've been involved in, which I consider also entrepreneurial, was the revitalization of the Playhouse Square area downtown, where I, in that uh, setting, I raised a lot of money for the state and palace theaters, as well as uh, surrounding developments, parking decks, office buildings, those kinds of things. And I sat back and said, well, yeah, this is, you know, what is this entrepreneur thing? What does that mean? It's either you know starting something or building something it's not all high tech in fact i've well i'm i'm currently involved in some high tech stuff but mostly i've been involved in you know consumer products services those types of things
0: you just shared a, a great moment of your time at playhouse square which leads to another question of mine is could you share with us some of your your best experiences as an entrepreneur other experiences outside of playhouse square
1: well probably um Most recently, although it's a while ago now, I was uh, instrumental. In fact, I led uh, raising a 20-plus million dollar venture fund in consumer products, which is not normal in Cleveland, Ohio. I think currently some of the efforts I'm involved in have been really significant. I'm blessed in that one of the companies I'm involved in is based on technology of my sons, so that's that's always a good thing. And uh, he's discovered, or he was discovered by uh, some really very successful entrepreneurs out west. One of whom is a Case Western alum, so that's the connection with him. He's on the faculty there, and that's been a real joy to to work with uh, work with your own, you know, your your kid, if you will. Although he's forty five years old,
0: right? <laughs> but, still a kid.
1: Still a kid to me. And that's been an awful lot. Of, that was has been an awful lot of fun. I've also had uh, the experience where we were too early, but I learned an awful lot in the uh, healthcare space, particularly health insurance pre Obamacare. And our challenge there was nobody wanted to do anything until Obamacare, but they didn't know when that was. And uh, you know we missed the opportunity as a region, even though we had some history in this uh, in this space. But boy, did I learn a lot about <laughs> some of the downsides of uh, health insurance. And uh, as uh, Walter Cronkite used to say, our health our, uh, healthcare system is anything but healthy, a system or caring. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> you learned firsthand. That, I, that yeah, I did, absolutely. You mentioned your son's connection with Case, and I went to Case as well. Just curious of your opinion, can entrepreneurship be taught?
1: I think there are aspects of it that certainly can be taught. Uh, There are, you know, you know, and I know, because we've we've learned mostly by the School of Hard Knocks, uh, and there are some things I think that it would have been nice had we had some, well, we probably had mentors. I know I did. I'm sure you did. Mm -hmm. But that's very informal. However, I don't think you can can teach the drive and the willingness to take risks. I look at a lot of people and I say, boy, you've barely been in some very interesting spots. I wonder why you didn't leave what you were doing and start a company. And the conclusion rapidly comes to because it's very, very risky. So that part can't be taught. But I think some of the aspects of financing, you know, how you present yourself, how you look at the marketplace, how you just don't say I'm solving my own problem, but other people actually do have that problem. I think those can be taught. And I think there are some great examples around town. I think the Weatherhead School at Case Western is doing a really good job, I think. And I'm biased about Case because I went there, too. I, um, you know, this whole think box that the Case Western has where it's, you know, like yours and my garage on steroids where we can go out there and tinker and absolutely and build
0: anything you want. That is a great component of Case. I wish that was around when I went to school. Yeah, right. You had mentioned um, talking with a number of people. Why didn't you go become an entrepreneur? And it's always the outside risk. And when you have family and children, I think that risk becomes exponential in someone's mind about why they would not take on an entrepreneurial endeavor, become an entrepreneur. Was your family supportive of you as you were walking through a lot of these entrepreneurial gigs? Yes. I'm not sure
1: my kids knew what I was doing, but my wife did. And yeah, she was pretty supportive. I think, you know, there's always that worry as you've you've, uh, listed it. Uh, But, yeah, I think she was supportive, and I think I have a lot of friends that were supportive. Uh, In the early days, my father-in-law was supportive, not as much for me because I didn't have a great idea, but his two sons, uh, who who founded the Great Lakes Brewing Company, had a great idea. (laughs) Yes, they did. And he was very supportive (laughs) of them and helping them navigate finance, helping them create relationships with uh, institutions. So that part, yeah, I mean, it's kind of there in the in at least the extended family
0: well i think you need that support in my early days as an entrepreneur i lost a lot of friends over leaving companies and jobs because they just thought that was the most crazy thing to do right as i've gotten older i've gotten lucky with friends a support system a wife who really has been more than supportive both in terms of you know just the spiritual support the financial support at times it's been Those are not easy things to come by. I think you have to train your family, too, as an entrepreneur. Right. And
1: don't forget the emotional support, which primarily can come from family.
0: And that's a huge component. because, uh, As you know, being an entrepreneur is like riding the stock market on a daily basis. (laughs) It's up and down (laughs) all the time.
1: With with a heavy emphasis on the lack of sleep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We like to be sleep-deprived and drink caffeine. In your mind, and you've seen a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of entrepreneurial events occur in this Northeast Ohio, what are some key skills that an entrepreneur should have?
1: Well, we talked about drive, of course. We talked about risk. I think they have to be able to separate what they want to do from what the market would like Because being an entrepreneur is not just selling. I think it's identifying in the the true marketing sense what does the consumer or what the customer or the industry really want and need, and can you provide that? Because you see an awful lot of people who, you know, it's the entrepreneur's dilemma who are frequently solving their own problem and think, well, this is so great. Everybody must want this. Well, I've been there. (laughs) And sometimes everyone doesn't want it.
0: How do you politely tell someone that their idea is bad
1: i think you help them look at it and say well really you've you know to say well this is a billion dollar market and if i get five percent of it look at how much money i'm going to make and, and, and then really press them on that press them in a kind way but to say really is that have you really looked at that have you done any kind of studies have you done any kind of interviews i don't want to say have you done any focus groups per se but really have you looked at that and tried to separate your need from the market's need and then you just have to be honest with them and say, "Well, I'm I don't I'm not going to put any money in this, or I'm not going to bring you into my, whatever it is, venture fund company, or and, and you know you know this, Michael, that right. it's, and sometimes the the kindest thing you can tell someone is no or no, that's not a good idea, because <laughs> then they oftentimes don't beat their head against the wall.
0: You hope. I mean, you hope, what, right? what You hope is they go back and create a new idea. That well, gets- exactly. You've been an investor, too, so you've got a very unique perspective of being an operator of entrepreneurial companies, as well as an investor in the very same. From an investor's perspective, what are some of the keys or or attributes that you look for in the entrepreneur? Some people will debate the
1: question of, is it the jockey or the horse? And I think, of course, if you don't have a good horse, it doesn't matter which jockey you have. You could have Eddie Arcaro or... You're one of the world's greatest jockeys, but if he's on a nag, it's not, <laughs> nothing happens. So I'm, I'm really looking for right. the jockey, too, the, the person who's going to lead the charge. And I also look at who surrounds them. Uh, what type of people do they attract? Uh, what type of leadership do they exude? And clearly, we both know people who it's just been their drive and their single-mindedness and everyone else be damned, and they've succeeded. That's not the style I, I prefer. I do know some, you know, really successful big time VCs and that is the style they prefer. Right. <laughs> but, you know, to each their own. So I'm looking for I'm looking for that of the kind of really the kind of person, obviously the knowledge of whatever they're involved in, their willingness to accept constructive criticism. Criticism is cheap and you, you know, you look at some of these, I, I hate the show Shark Tank because I think it's all criticism and no constructive <laughs> suggestions. So I think that's another key, can, do people listen? And if they don't like it, they can, you know, do they have a cogent response to why they don't, they don't agree? Because, you know, disagreeing is fine, especially in this business where nobody
0: really knows what's going
1: to happen.
0: Right, right. There's a million ways to get to where you need to go. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Would you be willing to share some of the best mistakes that you've ever made?
1: Mm, sure. Um, I have trusted people who weren't deserving of,
0: uh, of my trust. That's a common issue with entrepreneurs. It certainly is. Big trust around yeah. the, with the people around you. Right. Whether
1: it's investors or partners, I've, you know, I've seen it all, and I've had both experiences. But I don't know how you, how you assess that going forward. You think someone is trustworthy, and things change. Obviously, we, you know, like anyone, I've backed some uh, products or services that really really weren't, uh, really weren't necessary in the, from the market's standpoint. <laughs> that, that happens all the time. I've also been involved in some things that were just too early. this insurance for small businesses that I referred to earlier. we were just too early. And by the time the market started to respond to these types of things, and Obamacare was passed, we were out of money. So, so much for that. <laughs> Maybe we should have just sat back and said, "Well, we'll revisit this in a couple of years." Right. But, but, but we didn't. So, those are two or three things that I've that have really been disappointing to me and mistakes. Again, I don't know how you assess trustworthiness, but I think you, if you dig around more, you can find out ex- other people's experiences, and you really have to be willing to listen to that. And in one instance, a different setting. I was warned and I didn't listen because I was so enthusiastic about going forward. And uh, too bad for me. <laughs> that was a mistake. Should have listened.
0: Those are strong lessons learned. And uh, listen, we've all fallen prey to it, Bill, right? I mean, oh, sure. And its I've gotten to the point in my life where I really only operate within a small band of brothers. Mm-hmm. Men and women that I've gone through some heated battles with, mm-hmm. not necessarily personal, right, just as a group. And I won't, I will not go out of that trusted cadre of people. And uh, maybe it's cutting off my opportunities, but I just feel it's safer for me to operate within that group. I agree.
1: I agree. And it's not clear if it really cuts off too many opportunities because opportunities are everywhere. That's right. But if you're with a cadre of folks, and you're not necessarily best friends, but you have had, you know, trials and tribulations together. I think that's really valuable. And, if, and, of course, if you want to bring in someone new, you vet them carefully.
0: Real carefully. What's your next big audacious goal in life?
1: Well, I'd like to see this company that my, uh, that's based on my son's technology really take off. He has, uh, it's, it's in diagnostics, uh, licensed from Case Western. The company's licensed another diagnostic technology from Case Western. And now Brian is working on a third and these, while everyone would like to make, you know, money and good money, they're addressing disease processes that with millions of people uh, are affected by, and there's really no great hope. Um, one of them is if you're diagnosed too late, too bad. But if you're diagnosed on time, it's like so many other things, eminently treatable. The other one is, you know, just affects millions of people. The other one affects... Equally, millions of people, half a million people, half a billion people have this disease, and uh, he's really motivated by that. So I want to—I'm motivated by that as well.
0: No, that's great. That's great. I really hope it works out for yeah, thanks. for you and the, and your son. Final two questions, so we'll get you off the hot seat as quickly as possible. I promise, Bill. Do you believe Lakewood could be a great place to start a business?
1: I do. I, uh, well, I'm, you know, I've lived here for 30, 35 <laughs> years or more, 37 I guess. I think we're a little late to the party, but I think it's you know, very easy to, to be in Lakewood. Uh, there's certainly lots of resources here. Maybe you have to scratch the surface. You just can't look around and expect them to jump out at you. You know, I think the economics of Lakewood are terrific, both in terms of space, ease of getting around. If one wants to raise a family, close by. I think I know someone who walks to work for about three minutes away, maybe, Michael?
0: <laughs> <laughs> My universe is one mile long, <laughs> <Yeah>. though. <laughs> oh, a little longer than three minutes. Okay, <laughs> yeah, right.
1: 20, perhaps. So, I do. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm impressed by what's going on, by what you and some of your colleagues are doing here. Uh, I think it takes a while. It takes a while. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, I recall vividly um, when I was not doing entrepreneurial activity, really, like, although I guess in my definition it would be where we started working on the, the biotechnology industry, or bio, whatever you want to call it. And we were told, no way in hell, this is not going to happen in Cleveland, Ohio. It can't happen. Nobody will come here to work in these companies. <laughs> and our response was, well, uh, we'll see, I mean, but we're not in this for three years. This is a 20-year initiative, and now, 20 years later, I would I would argue the bio-biz in uh, northeastern Ohio is pretty large and pretty robust. And it's certainly attracting money and attention. And it's not like we don't have the uh, idea engines in the the medical school at Case Western, University Hospitals and the Clinic, and Metro. People forget Metro, but right. they're doing some interesting things there. So it just takes a while. And it'll take Lakewood a while
0: as well. And that's okay. Consistency in time, right? Yep. And finally... What have been some of your favorite moments in Lakewood? It doesn't have to be business. It could be personal, too. Just some of the finer times that you've had in the city.
1: I love the art festival. It's like going to the movies for an entire afternoon. <laughs> you see everybody. <laughs> We've been pretty attentive to what's going on at the Beck Center. I think that's a, that's a gem here. I I hope more people take advantage of it. The feeling of living in this town, I mean, when we moved in, we were the young couple with uh, little kids. Now we're the old fogies, but there are 70 kids on our block or you know, within a two-block radius. That's terrific. I mean, the, the city re- seems to revitalize itself, and I don't mind being the old fogey now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not at all. You're a young man at heart. That's right. Thank you. Well, thank you for the time, Bill. I really appreciate you coming in and talking with us at Startup Lakewood. You're welcome,
1: Michael. Thank you for
0: having me. Outstanding. I want to thank all the great people involved in making this podcast, especially our guests who took the time to join us for this interview. Executive producer, me, myself, and I, producer Bridget Coyne, audio engineers, Eric Coltnow and Dave Douglas. Startup Lakewood is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Subscribe to Startup Lakewood on your favorite podcast app or go to evergreenpodcast.com. And for you entrepreneurs out there, keep struggling.